So if you're to talk to most Christians and you ask them, okay, so you think you're supposed to follow the Ten Commandments? I think most people would say, yes. Yeah, and there's a big, rich history of the Ten Commandments. There's uh, even some Ten Commandments that are in uh, displayed in the state of Arkansas in state capital grounds. I think there there was used to be it was in Washington D.C. that they had a monument, um, but I think that that's no longer there. My understanding, but you can tell that the Ten Commandments, if they're on you know state and federal property, that kind of a big deal. The Ten Commandments, they're they're very big deal, and a lot of Americans resonate with the Ten Commandments. You know, we we like the fact you know we people it makes sense to say yeah. Don't lie and murder people. Seems kind of intuitive, doesn't it? You know, we're like so. The Ten Commandments are, are kind of a staple of morality, and it's a big thing in the Christian faith. And so, a lot of people would say, "Yes, I hold to them," and there's nothing wrong with that. But what people bring up and skeptics bring up is, okay, so you as Christians want to follow that part of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, but you don't want to follow the other parts, like, for instance, not eating pigs, no more bacon. It's very sad, right? And shellfish, for those of you who like fish, I don't. Uh, wearing two different types of fabric, right? That's in the Old Testament. And doing animal sacrifices. Thank God we don't do that anymore here. <laughs> Not a fan of animal sacrifices. I love bunnies and animals and stuff. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, that's, and that's one of the things people ask me. One of the top 10 frequently asked questions I get as a pastor is, okay, why do you follow this part of the Bible or this part of the Old Testament and not this part over here? What's, is there an inconsistency? Is it kind of like, you know, Mr. Potato Head, you pick and choose the parts and go with whatever you want, you know, you know, it's like a buffet. You, you get the stuff you want, you leave the stuff behind that you don't like. Well, no, that's not true. And so what's, what's the deal here? And this is something that a lot of scholars ask themselves, um, but not just scholars, but a lot of common people. This is not something that's like a, an abstract intellectual idea that only a few people struggle with. This is a very common thing uh, that people struggle with. In fact, I was listening to a past American president bring up this very thing. A president of the United States brought up this objection. Why do you follow this part of the Bible over here, but not this part? And I've seen, you know, ridiculous, like... I mean, low-level kind of comedy shows, if you can put it like that, bring up this objection. Why do you guys follow the Bible over here and not over here? So this is not something that academic, smart scholars only think about it in their ivory towers with many leather-bound books and the room smell of rich mahogany. It's not just that. It's a common man on the street that thinks about this issue. It's, it's in popular culture. And so we as Christians, we need to have an answer as to why we want to follow the, the Ten Commandments on one hand and not those other... 500 plus laws and it's surprisingly basic you know so i'm going to ask you okay so you want to you know want to not use the lord's name in vain unless you're driving on the 15 freeway then maybe you just might no one's perfect that's why we need jesus's forgiveness of sins so you know you want to you want to follow that but you're not building a fence on your roof that's what the old testament says so what's the deal and so people have even said well because of this we shouldn't follow the ten commandments and, and they, they'll go further. So, you know, no one goes to church on, on, on a Saturday like and they did in, in the Old Testament times. So you are all here on Sunday. I was here Saturday. No one was here. You know, I mean, so what's the deal there? And so people would say, so we just throw out all the old, you just throw out the Old Testament, you throw out the Ten Commandments and all this kind of stuff. And so this is, this is what we're going to face here was looking at Romans 7, 1 through 6, because 
Paul makes some pretty intense statements about the Mosaic law being done away with. So let's look at this here and see how we as Christians are to understand the Old Testament and understand if we are even still to follow the Ten Commandments. So starting at Romans 7, 1, he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress if the guy dies. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. That's the first part. And we're going to look at 5 through 6 in a bit here. But before I go into anything else, this might be in the back of your head, I want to kind of address this nagging issue. Paul is not providing a comprehensive teaching on divorce and remarriage here. That isn't his point at all, actually. Um, it's offering an analogy to Jesus and, and our past relationship with the Mosaic Law and all that kind of stuff. And the reason why he talks this way, you're like, why does he even talk this way then? Well, it's very sad, but in the, in the normal first century kind of Jewish culture, um, this is what they believed. They thought a man could divorce his wife for just any cause. They believed that. But a woman was prohibited from divorcing her husband for any reason at all. And the only way she could be freed from that marriage is if the guy died. Or if he was murdered. You know, so there's that. <laughs> we don't know who. Maybe, you know, the wife would be on the... No, okay, I'll stop. That was... Okay. But no, and so that's a really bad deal for women. It was oppressive to women at that time. And, you know, Jesus and Paul come along and they, they apply it to both sides of the fence saying, no, 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 if you do this, whether you're man or woman, if you leave and abandon your spouse, that's grounds for divorce. If you uh, commit adultery, that's grounds for divorce. So there are grounds for divorce. And Jesus and Paul leveled the, the, the playing field that was so oppressive and abusive to women in the first century. So they're, they're different. But he is offering here up the regular Jewish religion relationship at the time that that was practiced and it was not necessarily the best well it isn't the best but here's the point of the text that that people and especially the jewish people he says i speak to those under the law he's talking to the jewish people he has them predominantly in mind that they were married to the law of moses at one point that's what he that's what what it is going on here is that the law of moses they were wed to or bound to in an oath-like formula in the book of exodus and so that's the Mosaic Covenant that was made after the covenant of Abraham. Just to kind of give you the background here. That's the covenant we find in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. Uh, and so this covenant, you know, this is, this is what Charlton Heston's all about. If you, who remembers the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Okay, some people do. I, I'm, I feel refreshed by the hands. Who knows the Prince of Egypt, though? More hands, I figured. It's newer, right? And... So yes, there's that. So that's, that's the kind of covenant we're talking about here for just pop culture references. And so in this covenant, there's over 500 some laws, some you know in the 600s, some would count it that way, depending on how you count the laws. And, uh, and lots, some of those laws were for Israel at the time, they pointed to Christ, and they were meant to keep the people separate from the other nations, that's why the laws were in there. And so those laws may not connect to us today, but 
you know, the Ten Commandments, that connects with a lot of people. And what's interesting, and this is, what, this is where the controversy is going to arise, is that the Mosaic Covenant, what represents the covenant with Moses, was the Ten Commandments. This is what it says in Deuteronomy uh, 4.13. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to perform, that is the Ten Commandments. He wrote, it, wrote them on two uh, tablets of stone. So Moses is saying here, those Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Covenant represents that, those Ten Commandments, they, or rather, they represent the Mosaic Covenant. And so Paul's point is, yeah, you were married to the Mosaic Law, but because you are united through Jesus Christ by faith, He died to the law, and so you're, uni you're so united to Him that you were united to His death and resurrection. He died to the law, and you died to the law through Him, and so you're no longer bound to follow that anymore. You're no longer bound to keep all those laws and all those Mosaic uh, ordinances. And so this is how Paul puts the same point, or similar point, I should say. In Galatians 2, 19-20, he says, For through the law I died to the law. I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. We live to God now. And so that's what they're saying is, is to us as Christians, that Mosaic law is dead to us. And so we are to die through that law united to Christ. And Paul brings us up to explain why we're no, lo no longer, in the chapter 6, he says, you're no longer under law anymore, but you're under grace. He's bringing this up as an explanation as to why we're no longer under law and now we're under grace as following Christ. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, putting a fence on your roof. Nobody, I think, here has a fence on the roof as the Mosaic Law requires people to have. And if I, as I said, I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm very thankful we're not under the law of Moses for a variety of reasons. As I said, I love animals, and I don't like blood. And, you know, frankly, when I go to the doctor's office, I almost pass out my dad back there. He's visiting today. I want to draw attention to him and embarrass him. But it, it, I, if you, like father, like son, if he gets his blood drawn, he acts, he's actually just straight out passed out, you know. And so it runs in the family. I don't like blood. I'm thankful I'm not under the Mosaic Covenant. It's very wonderful thing. I would hate to do any animal sacrifice. I'd make my wife do it for me or something, you know. I'm not going to handle that. It's just too bloody and no thank you, you know. So th those sacrifices, bloody and, and terrible like her, said points to the death of Christ. And you can now eat, if you like rare steaks, you can now eat blood. And yeah, that's, you can have a medium rare steak, but you know, if you look into the Old Testament, Leviticus 3.17, it says, It shall be a statue forever. The Hebrew word alam can just mean a long period of time. It'll be a statue for a long time, thousands and thousands of years, throughout the, your generations, it, your dwelling places, that you shall neither eat fat nor blood. So, I mean, I like a fatty steak, and who doesn't like a fatty steak? I mean, so now you can enjoy, you know, a, a steak in a very guiltless way. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And so, so Paul has, has said, this Mosaic Covenant, you've died to it. So in, in that sense, you're not bound to all the laws in there. And this is not just like one-off, like Paul says this once, and, you know, it's just like a rare moment. He repeats it throughout his teaching, we'll see it again, over and over again, and he does it very clearly in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 13. Because I, I know I've run into a lot of people who are like, I follow all those laws and I go to church on Saturday and usually they're, they're guys. Um, sorry. <laughs> Just 
Just a fact. Um, for some reason, that's that I run into guys that are really into that. Like we got to keep all the Old Testament laws and everything. But you just can't. You can't maintain that position when you read Romans seven. You can't maintain that position when you're looking at Second Corinthians three seven through thirteen. It says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory, the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. It's God's word. It says it. It's being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the Mosaic Covenant is called the ministry of condemnation. It's to expose our need for Christ. They were deported to Babylon. Uh, it didn't go well for them, did it? The ministry of righteousness much, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it, the glory of the new covenant. For if what was being brought to an end, he repeats it like, again, came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put, off, put a veil on his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. I mean, he says it three times. Do you ever complain about my preaching being repetitive? Look what Paul is doing over and over and over again. And so Paul is very clear. Yeah, that Mosaic law came to an end. And it's not just Paul who says it, but the author of Hebrews and the earliest Christians believe this too. The Mosaic covenant had come to an end. This is what the author of Hebrews says, inciting Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. This is what he says. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. That's the Mosaic Covenant. Obsolete, no more. No mas. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's vanishing away. It's coming to an end. I mean, how clear could it be? It's just right there explicitly in God's Word. And so here's what people think, and this is why I brought up the Ten Commandments, is if this covenant represents... Is, is represented by the Ten Commandments. And this covenant is gone and vanished and has come to an end. Well, people think, well, that means I can just do away with the Ten Commandments, you know? Just forget about all that stuff. You know, we can lie, cheat, steal, and murder. No big deal, you know? I mean, why should anything keep me from that, you know? And because I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. Mosaic law gone. There we go. But that isn't true because... We are under Jesus. We are under him. We are in, we belong to Jesus more than we even belong to our own spouse. We have a deep relationship with Jesus. And Jesus Christ reaffirms the Ten Commandments. And so we, we, we can't, you know, just, you know, get away with those. Now, of course, the other laws, Jesus does not reaffirm, like you can eat your bacon. You can still have bacon, so that's good. You can have your shellfish if you like fish, I guess. You know, as you can tell, I'm not a fan. If, if my steak, I can taste if my steak gets near fish when I go to a restaurant. That's, that's how much I despise fish. When my wife goes out to Louisiana, she has fish every day because I can't even stand the smell of it. So if you like fish, you know, shellfish, whatever, you can have all that stuff. And so, yeah, we, we as followers of Jesus, we can keep the Ten Commandments and not the other stuff. And so, you know, our worship leader can have, you know, a few tattoos. A few, you know, and stuff like that. I think most of the people on staff have tattoos. So, I mean, you know, we can have tattoos. There's a law about tattoos. We don't have to follow that. So you can get your tattoo and eat some bacon every day, you know, whatever you feel like doing, you know, and that it's not a sin. 
And so, uh, yeah, but the Ten Commandments Jesus does bring up. He does reaffirm those things. Um, and I'm going to read it at Matthew 22, 36 to 40. And at first you might be a little confused, but I'm going to explain it, okay? This is what it says. Teacher, which is a great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. As the Ten Commandments would say, it represented the Mosaic Covenant. And you first read this, you know, okay, it doesn't even talk about the Ten Commandments. What are you talking about? This doesn't even say the word Ten Commandments. But you see, if you're a first century Jew and you understood, they memorized like the Old Testament. They knew how the commandments were ordered. But if you understood the ordering, and some of you might know it pretty well, but the ordering of the Ten Commandments, you will see Jesus is making a veiled reference to them. He is referring to them and saying this is important to keep. He's reaffirming these commandments. He talks about, you know, food. He's like, it doesn't matter. It just passes your stomach. It comes out. No big deal, you know, kind of thing. But no, with this, he says, this is the core of what it's all about. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's in two different sections here. It's loving God and loving neighbor. So the first commandment is, I hope we, we I'm sure you've all memorized them, you know. True story. I'll just, I'll tell you this. This is funny. I did really well on my ordination exam. I like to think I did well. I think I answered most of the questions. And I, I feel like I was nailing everything. I felt so good about myself. I was like, oh, I got this. I'm so, look at how smart and knowledgeable I am. I've learned the Bible for so many years. I'm so intelligent. God always has a funny way of humbling you. And so they give me the Ten Commandments. And I literally forgot the lying part. Like, I felt like such a, they passed me because they were gracious, you know. But don't think like you're smart because God always has a funny way of humbling you, let me tell you. So, yeah. <laughs> so the first four is one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol or a graven image. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now those four, they're all about the Lord, and honoring the Lord, honoring and loving God. That's what these are about. So the first four is, is lines with Jesus is loving God with all your being. Look at the second part of the commandments. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. So those align with loving your neighbor. So loving God, loving neighbor. You have these commandments outlined here. And so Jesus is making a reference when he says, what's the law all about? What should you follow? Love God with all your being and love your neighbor. That is representing the two sides of the commandments. So Jesus, as a first century Jew, is affirming. Not saying, oh, we don't follow that stuff anymore. He is affirming that we as Christians should try. We fail every day, especially driving. We, we, we fail to follow these commandments, but, but yet we want to in, in try. We, we, we try to try, I guess. We try to try. That doesn't make any sense. We put in an effort, you know, in that we fail, we rely on the grace of Christ. And so here he's giving a summary of these Ten Commandments. And he's saying, yeah, you don't, you, you, but we follow these not because it's in the Mosaic Covenant. We follow these because we are under, we're no longer under the authority of Moses. We're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus. He is our Savior. And so, yeah, Jesus doesn't say anything about building a fence in your roof, you know, not eating bacon or tattoos or anything like that. But he does say, yeah, as, as your Lord, follow these commandments. And so we want to honor Jesus. And, you know, we, we fail every day, but we, we make it an intent to try to follow these. We are not under grace, but we're, 
That's like, don't... That got recorded and sent to somebody. I'd be in so much trouble. We're not under grace. No, we're not under law. We're under, we're under grace. We're under Christ. And what Paul says here is we're under the law of Christ. This is what he actually says. He says, I'm not under the law, but I'm under the law of Christ. Because Jesus is our authority. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Not, though not being myself under the law. See, he says, I'm not under the law. Paul says that as a first century Jew. I am not under the law, that I might win those under the law, other Jews. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Law of Jesus Christ right there, that I might win those outside the law. So we are under the law of Christ. And as under the law of Christ, Jesus reaffirms those Ten Commandments. And so we are to follow anything that Jesus brings up from the Mosaic law. So if he just says something, Jesus says something implicitly or explicitly from the Old Testament, he is our Lord, we are to follow that. Now, the one commandment that gets everybody kind of tripped up, and I mentioned this before, is a Sabbath one. People get really in kind of a frenzy about that one. So, oh, you know, your guys are here on Sunday, not on Saturday. You know, that Sabbath was on Saturday. But if you read Colossians chapter 2, Paul says not to follow that Sabbath. He says don't follow that old Mosaic covenant Sabbath. Don't do that. And yet... What, it, what the Bible teaches is that there's still a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is still a rest that we have. And when we look into the church history and we look at the first century, the apostles, I mean, I mean who, do, who would disagree that today that we, we still need rest? We all need rest. If we don't rest, people get run down, they get depressed, they get anxious. So there is a sense in which we rest as the people of God today. And so that law still applies in our lives. But if you look at Acts 27, what you're going to find is that, is that the, the earliest Christians practiced their day of worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. I'll read you Acts 27. It says, On the first day of the week, when they gathered together to break bread, that's communion right there, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, it's definitely much longer than any of my sermons, isn't it? That's very long. I mean, you know, till midnight. That's, that's, that's got to be like a 10-hour sermon, right? Goodness. People, and actually someone did fall asleep and they fell out of a window. So maybe don't go that long. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, this was the day of rest that they had practiced for thousands of years. And here's my point. We, we do try to follow the Ten Commandments, even in the resting part and the Sabbath part. We all need rest. And even though we fail every day, we rely on the grace of Christ and that motivates us to, to follow it and to follow Jesus. We, we belong to him. He is our Lord and our God. Now, the second thing that's very important about this text is that not only is it a new thing about laws, but it's also a new relationship. And it is this new relationship that's like a complete mind shift. It transforms how we view everything, how we view each other, how we view our entire lives. This mind shift here in going from law and moving to Jesus Christ. It's, it's a complete spiritual revolution. Romans 7, 5 through 6, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in the members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code, the written code being the law of Moses. Now, 
Paul was right because that law didn't produce obedience. It produced disobedience, and the Israelites were deported to Babylon. They failed to follow. They were worshiping idols, you know, and as soon as the commandments were out, they were worshiping an idol. I mean, it's kind of a mess. And so he's right. The law doesn't make people good. It's the, that's the old written code. The spirit and life in Christ, knowing Jesus is what grows the whole thing. And so he says, yeah, that, that knowing Jesus produces this spiritual fruit. It brings this transformation. Look at verse, I want to read this one again to show this. Uh, Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. We belong to Jesus. In, in some sense, it's like in a marriage to Jesus, a new marriage to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So what is it about, though, about the law that makes us bad and grace and under Christ that makes us bear fruit. He doesn't, by the way, he doesn't say you should bear fruit. He just says descriptively, if you're with Jesus, if you know Jesus, there's going to be a transformation in your life. He doesn't say you got to bear fruit. He says you will bear fruit. And if you're under law, not good fruit, bad fruit that leads to death. And the reason why this is, I mean, just in the first, just look at this. If, if you belong to Jesus in a deeper way, you have a relationship with him, you're, gonna, you're going to want to follow him. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're probably more inclined to listen to your spouse than the speed limit. Just laws that are posted, you know? Especially if you're in a rush. You're not, you don't, you take your, I hope you take your spouse more seriously than the speed limit. Maybe you follow both very well. Um, you know, I'm exposed there on that, you know? <laughs> but we're, we're to love Jesus even in a more deeper way than our spouse. We belong to him in a more deeper sense. And so it, it, being under law in Paul's mind is, is, is this sort of bondage, but being under Jesus just brings this amazing transformation. And that is because when you belong to Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, you are right before God. And you, you are accepted by God. You, you don't need to strive and obey in order to be good. God's acceptance is over you, and it's not conditioned on your obedience. And this just changes everything, how we view things, because knowing Jesus and being in a relationship with Him is so much different than trying to strive and achieve to try to be right before God. And so the fact is, no matter what you do, Jesus is legally bound to you, like in a marriage. And he says he has made an oath that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. You're declared righteous. You are innocent and not guilty. And he, he has a legally binding obligation. He can no longer deny you that he can deny himself. He is sworn. So it's like a marriage oath that he swears you that he will never leave you, even on your best days and even on your worst days. And this is how 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 puts it. I mean, we all expect it to say the opposite because we're all conditioned towards trying to strive and achieve and trying to be right before God by working and trying to be accepted by God by our good works. But this is what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. It says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, you expect, oh, well, you're going to get punished. If you're faithless to God, you're going you're to go to hell, be punished, whatever. And he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He has made an oath to you that he will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so this, this reality is so profound. The Bible describes it as being born again. Being a new creation. It's, like, it's just like a complete 180 from everything you've ever known because we are all conditioned towards, okay, 
Um, in order to be accepted by people, I got to work for it. In order to be accepted at work, I got to work for it. In order to be accepted before God, I have to I have to work, and I'm constantly feeling inadequate, and I'm constantly falling short, and it's just, and and we're all on this kind of treadmill of life, and we're exhausted, and we're beat down. And what's amazing is that this is kind of like the 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 scene in the Matrix where Neo realizes that it's all fake. He's in the Matrix, you know. There is no spoon kind of thing. It's kind of like the revolution in the Truman Show when he realizes he's being watched the whole time by all. All of like society, and he you know hits his boat up against the I don't know the set. I mean, what a I mean, this is this is this is a completely fundamental way of thinking about. This is like the difference between religion and workspace salvation and the striving and achieving we're all used to doing in life. You know, to do well at work, you got to work hard. To be accepted by your friends and family, you got to do something. You have to constantly contribute and try to earn things. And now you're now now it's all switched and said, no, I'm already accepted and cherished and loved by God, and because of that, I obey. That is. Totally Totally different than I obey God in order to get accepted. And we actually have cards on the back table that kind of describes uh, th this difference uh, between living under grace and living under law. And what a profound shift. It's like a totally uh, different way of, of viewing everything. Because the fact is, when we obey Jesus because he died for all of our sins and he's earned salvation for us and he suffered so that we can live. We obey out of, wow, thank you so much, Jesus, for that amazing gift. I am so profoundly blessed by that. So we obey out of gratitude and thankfulness. But see, on the kind of the workspace religion, man-made religion, legalism, under law, what we do is we think, okay, I got to obey to be accepted. And you never feel accepted, do you? You never feel good enough. And so what happens you're constantly insecure in your relationship with God because there's no reason to be secure because you're failing every day, you're messing up every day, and you're, you feel like God's mad at you all the time. And so you constantly have this, and no one thinks an insecure relationship is a good way to go. That's, that's, a, that's like totally emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. And so this workspace man-made religion breeds constant insecurity because you're never good enough. And so you're always doubting your relationship with God. So guess what? You think you're never good enough. And so bad things happen in your life. You know, um, your spouse leaves you. You lose a lot of money. People start saying mean things about you. And then you think, oh man, this must be because I sinned here and here and here. And so God must be punishing me. And so you live in this constant state of fear and insecurity. But you see, living under grace, it changes how you view God and it changes how you view everything because now you know that Jesus took the punishment for you. He satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. There's no punishment. There's no hell for you. He did it all for you on the cross. And so when you go through hard times, when you lose a job or someone dies in your family that's close to you that you've had a, a really deep relationship with, you know that God is not punishing you through those circumstances. He's working all things out for your good, and you're growing through that. And so when you live in the other way of thinking, though, I mean, God's punishing you. You become like how Martin Luther became, uh, not the uh, racial reformer, but the Protestant reformer. And you, you think, okay, I hate God because all this, all this God does is bad stuff happens. He's mad at me all the time. And so your, your relationship with God becomes stale, cold, and even produces great anger in our life and so because you, you don't never know you never have acceptance so you feel like you're constantly being punished and so living under law in this workspace system it even affects the way that we have relationships and the way we treat each other so 
if someone gives you constructive criticism in your life, they're not just giving you ways to improve. That's, a, that's an attack on your very identity because they're saying you're not good enough and you need to improve. So when you have criticism, you just melt down because they're attacking your very core identity, that you're not good, that you don't measure up, and so you just lose it. But you see, grace and relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything because when someone criticizes you, you can handle it because your identity is not built on your performance, but Jesus's performance for you. So you can fail, and you're free to fail, and, and you're, it's, it's not based on, 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 your, on, on your life, but it's based on Jesus' life for you. And so living under this works-based religious system, it just wrecks everything, including, I would add, your prayer life. Because you pray, you know, to look good for God to get stuff. It becomes this very cold and transactional relationship where you really need to get something from God. Oh, God, you know, and you're only praying when really bad stuff happens and you're just like, okay, this is convenient now for me to pray. Let me try to get stuff from God and pray, you know? And so when you really need something, your, your prayer life heats up. And so prayer life becomes not praising God for who he is and not, not surrendering to him, but prayer life becomes sort of like this commercial robotic transactional thing. It isn't warm, honest, and relational. But you see, living under grace is so much different because you, you pray to Jesus just to grow closer to him, to thank him for all the things he's done. You know, God, thank you for this day. And you don't need to constantly get things from him in prayer because God has already given you everything in Jesus Christ. Eternal life, acceptance, being loved and cherished forever. And that just shows our relationship with Jesus is, is more closer to that of a marriage relationship than some commercial transactional relationship. Because marriage is about love. It's about sacrifice and growing closer to that person. Imagine if you had, you know, a marriage like a transactional relationship. That would last for like a week. That doesn't last at all. Because that's, that's not what marriage is all about. Marriage is about sacrificing for the other person and trying to get to know them. Not just trying to get stuff from the person. Not trying to get things from them. And so... When we come to know Jesus, it is like being born again, not trying to get stuff from God because we already have everything in Jesus Christ. I don't have to get stuff from you either. I don't have to get approval and acceptance from you because I have that all in Jesus. And so I don't have to take from people. I can rest in the obedience of Jesus Christ in my life. And so this is why the Bible uses such radical terms like born again, because it is a, 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 just a brand new way of thinking about everything. And that's why we don't move beyond the gospel, but we move deeper and deeper into the gospel and into the very love and heart of God. And I've seen a lot of things on the internet that tries to describe this, but the best thing I've, I've read on this to describe this and just, if you forget everything else I say, this is the one thing you should remember. <laughs> But the two attitudes of a child when he gets into trouble is the difference between man-made works-based religion and the difference between knowing Jesus and who he is. So when a kid's in trouble, man-made religion says something like this. Oh man, I'm in so much trouble. My dad's going to kill me. But you see, relationship with Jesus looks like this. Oh man, I'm in so much trouble. I better call my dad. I'm in so much trouble. I better call my dad. And if you haven't experienced that relationship with Jesus, 
and you've been on this treadmill of trying and never feeling good enough and distant from God, then all you have to do is reach out this morning in faith to Jesus and knowing Him and who He is. And that will transform your life from the inside out. It won't be about trying, but it will be already receiving the acceptance that Jesus has earned for you and bought for you in His death and in His life. May glory be to Him forever. Let's pray.